Welcome to Fundamentally Human, a podcast about mental health topics unpacked in an easy-to-understand way. My name is Shervin, and I'm your host. Let's get started. Something I hear a lot from my clients, from friends, even myself is, oh, I'm not motivated to do it. I don't have the motivation for it. I know I have to do it, but I don't want to. I'm lazy. I'd rather not. I'll do it later. If you've said one or all or some of these before, then keep listening because these kind of statements come up whenever it comes to things like exercise, food, cleaning, most of the day-to-day type of things that we need to do but we don't want to do. And I think a lot of it comes from, you know, we have to repeat these things every day. Like, okay, I went to the gym today. In a couple of days, I probably have to go again. And that makes it so mundane and hard to keep that habit going. And especially for things like food, let's say, we generally have an idea of what healthy eating is, but the hard part is how we can do it and how we can maintain it. So for the episode today, I've enlisted the help of Chanel, a health elevation coach and holistic nutritionist to help us fill in some of the blanks on why we have a hard time eating healthy and what we can do about it. Welcome, Chanel. Hi. Can you introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Great. Um, so my name is Chanel. First of all, thank you for having me on your podcast today, Shervin. Yeah. Um, we met many, many, many years ago in many, many chapters of our life, like previously. Um, so first and foremost, I am a proud Asian Canadian in yes. a field that not a lot of Asian Canadians will actually be in. Hopefully that will change, and I'm here to make sure that changes. So my main job as a holistic nutritionist, which is what I went to school with uh, for, is to talk about food. And my main goal as a foodie is to tell, uh, teach everybody how to eat to solve your problems. So essentially in a healthy way that doesn't involve overindulging or completely destroying your body. And as a health elevation coach, I tie it up by helping you trust your body and know exactly what to actually feed your body and tackle a lot of the mind drama and food trauma that most Asian people experience growing up. Things like, oh, you shouldn't eat too much rice, you're going to get fat. Or things like, you should never eat or you should never drink milk and orange juice together because you're going to get kidney stones. Both of those are actually myths. (laughs) And uh, this is a huge part of what I do. It's still constantly evolving as I've just recently started my business, but hopefully that gives a really good insight about my background. Thank you. And I love to hear about how people get to where they are because, you know, there's that traditional doctors go through med school, then residency, there are pharmacists, dentists, but then there are also a lot of jobs that my parents might not know. (laughs) And I think the hard part is we don't know what it means to be, let's say, a health coach or a nutritionist, how people get there or what kind of things they do on their day-to-day. So if you could help us actually explain, how does your day-to-day look as a coach and a nutritionist? Yeah, definitely. That's an excellent question. So previously, I only referred to myself as a nutritionist, but I thought, so whenever clients came to me, it would be for consulting. And I truly believe that I had way more power beyond just consulting. And I actually had 
the skills and the gifts to coach someone and be more impactful in their life because I believe that I'm here to make an impact. So in my day-to-day life, what I usually do is on Monday, I focus on manifesting and goal setting and admin work. So this is very different from when I was still working my nine to five last year because I don't work nine to five anymore. I don't work 40 hours a week. I take at least two to three personal days a week because I can. Um, And it's not just because like, oh, like I'm just going to take days off because I want to. Like, yes, that's a part of it. But also I truly believe in leading by example and being congruent and practicing what I preach. And what I preach a lot is about resting and relaxing and recharging and nourishing your body. So on a day-to-day basis, I usually reserve all my mornings for myself. So I will do, I will prepare a great brunch. I usually just skip breakfast depending on my time of the month. Um, And then I'll go for a walk with my dog. I'll take a shower, listen to either subliminals to get my brain flowing, or I'll just listen to Coldplay to get my creativity going, which is actually freaking amazing. Like Coldplay music just hits different. Um, And then after my lunch, uh, which I just really insist, one of my non-negotiables during my day is that I have to be touching food. Like physically touching food? Physically touching food. Like Like a burrito? Just like being in the process of like cutting my own food. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like burritos are delicious. You're not used utensils? (laughs) (laughs) I do use utensils, but I, I really believe in touching my food so that I can really connect with my food and ask my food like, hey, my liver needs some support today. Could you give this to me, arugula? And this is with my intuition, my body's wisdom, and my background education. But knowing exactly how each food can serve me helps set me up for success during the day. Yeah, and then in the afternoon, I usually see clients or I'll work on content creation. Um, And then, so that's basically my Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So when I talk to clients, we go through not only talking about food. Traditionally, most people think like, oh, you're a nutritionist. That means you give meal plans and recommend supplements, right? Yes, but I can do more than that. Being a holistic nutritionist means I focus on mind, body, and soul. And the way I interpret it for myself is that I focus on mind food, body food, and soul food. So body food is food that we normally eat and put, decide whether or not we want to put in our body. Mind food is how we consume the world, how we consume thoughts, media, how we, what we get out of um, conversations and relationships with other people, things that we're consuming with our brain. Soul food, I would think of things like meditation, spending time alone, going through anything that correlates with spiritual awakening, like playing Animal Crossing at 2 a.m. I consider to be soul food. So that's a part, a huge part of what I do. And my main goal with my clients that usually come see me is so that they have energy because they always come to me saying they're so tired. They're so tired and they're so tired, which is where I was about a year or two ago when I was working my corporate job. Yeah, I think that wraps up something about what I do on a day-to-day basis, like not getting into too detailed and overwhelming someone. But if you want any clarification, feel free to let me know or we can move on to the next question. No, that's really great because 
it goes beyond the nine to five type of corporate role that we're used to hearing about. So being mm-hmm. able to see how someone who does content creation, mm-hmm. someone who does coaching, you know, you're you're doing admin work, but you also have work that's client facing and direct one on one and how you fit in all of that, which is very much like being a therapist in a sense. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, people have this misconception that with therapy, it's a it's talk therapy. You just sit, talk about your problems, cry, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot that goes behind it. Just like how with your holistic approach in therapy, my approach is also to look at the biopsychosocial mm-hmm. approach. You know, when people come to me and they share about their challenges, I look at what's going on biologically. Maybe they have a diagnosis from a doctor. Maybe Mm -hmm. they're presenting with certain physical symptoms that they're not aware about. And then socially, what does their support system look like? What is their social life like? How do they communicate with others? How do they communicate with themselves? And then psychologically, that's where we really look at the thoughts, the feelings, and figure out how we can reframe that and help individuals work towards what they want to change and who they want to be. So there's a lot more to it than just sitting and talking and listening. Yeah. And I hope that this helps with breaking down some of the misconceptions Mm -hmm. and for more people to learn about what it is like to be a coach or a nutritionist or a therapist. For sure. Yeah. And just in general, when you go become a coach, you're the coach first, but you're also a CEO at the same time when you're working for yourself. Yeah. So you get to be in all these different roles every single day. And so right now I'm starting to introduce structure back into my life. So that's why I designate certain days to do certain things. And Wednesdays, I always take off as a personal day because I was born on a Wednesday. So Wednesdays always felt magical to me. I love but that. Also <laughs> I loved. I just love Wednesdays. Um, and then I also get coached by other coaches on a regular basis. So I actively work with a business coach who coaches me and kicks my ass every other Wednesday. <laughs> and I have gone to therapy last year too, especially for mm-hmm. my driving anxiety. Mm-hmm. Therapists can have therapists and that's okay. And you know, you, we want to improve our personal lives the way we think and we learn from other practitioners too because in a job like being a coach, a nutritionist, a lot of things where even a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist, it can be very isolating. You have a lot of one-on-one with clients and sometimes you get feedback, a lot of the times you don't. Mm-hmm. So to really be able to learn from other peers in your industry or field, being able to connect with them about your own personal struggles or the way they learn or the way they teach is such a helpful way to grow your own skill set. For sure. And while we're on the topic, we're also just really, really good at disrupting the cycle. Like, we don't have to be doctors or lawyers. <laughs> we can be anything we want. We can have a schedule however we want. It's just how you feel is really important, how you connect with the rest of the world as well. Exactly. And I wanted to jump back a couple of steps earlier. You were talking about touching your food. <laughs> and I love that, you know, in the therapy world or I'm sure a lot of people have heard or seen this buzzword of mindfulness, but I think that's really a great example of what mindfulness is, which really just means being present. 
when you look at and feel what you're eating, there's a lot more appreciation, just like when you pay attention to your surroundings or the people around you. Or, okay, think about this. If someone is sitting, you're sitting with someone and you're trying to tell them a story and they start going on their phone and they say, oh yeah, I'm listening. Don't worry about it. Keep going. That doesn't feel the best. You know, sometimes no. <laughs> you know if the person's listening or not, but they don't have their focus on you 100% or even 90% anymore because they need to focus on what they're typing, what they're reading and looking at. You know, once in a while, and I do it too. I did it just yesterday. I was on a walk with someone and I needed to respond to a message that was coming in. And I said, hey, can you give me a moment? I just need to respond to this. And I did that. Then I put it away instead of just while they're talking, you bring your phone up and text and way to reject someone as they're talking. And I think it's the same thing with food. Mm -hmm. When we really pay attention to it, we not only enjoy it and appreciate it more, but we feel connected with what we're putting in our bodies. Yes, exactly. Um, one, of the, one of the many reasons why I enjoy fine dining and make it and also a non-negotiable during the year to visit at least like two Michelin guided or starred restaurants because I love the experience. I love the journey that the chef and the food takes me to. And it being in that environment sets you up to be mindful and acknowledge your food and actually be very conscious about what you're eating, why you're eating it and how it was prepared. Yes, especially the how it's prepared. I love cooking too. And sometimes I'm so extra, I'll take a small piece of tissue to wipe down the sides mm -hmm. to have a clean plate because I want to look at something that looks appealing to me. Exactly. Just being extra. But I am curious though, and feel free to share whatever you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I know it's not easy to leave a corporate type of setting, something that's mm -hmm. salaried and you have benefits into something that's self-employed because mm -hmm. that was kind of the transition I was going through from school into private practice as well. Mm -hmm. I know I work for a, for public health as well and their salary there, but I know a lot of private practice therapists who really feel challenged in the beginning to make sure they get that you know, money, salary, and keeping afloat. Yeah. How was that transition like for you as a nutritionist? Oh, yeah. So when I quit my job, I absolutely had no backup plan. I literally just slept for two weeks because I was just so tired and burnt out. Um, and it was a fun journey with my corporate because essentially I quit my job after about a year because I was moving to the U.S. And then I got the job back a year after reaching out saying, hey, do you still need me? Like, is there anything I can do? And the first time I quit was because I was like, oh, great, new future, so exciting. But with immigration, there's so many hoops you have to jump through. So that discouraged me from starting my own practice. Um, I did still work in the capacity of like working for free with friends and family, but doing that devalued myself in a sense subconsciously and made me start hating what I was doing which essentially propelled me into applying for my corporate job again for um, like a fear, from a place of fear, not a place of love, from a place of, oh, I'm not going to have enough money if I try to do this. Oh, um, I'm not going to have stability. Oh, I don't have insurance. And what really was the last nail in the coffin was remembering that when the first time I quit, when I was starting to feel burnt out, 
I walked, I had an appointment with my boss. I walked into his office on a Friday afternoon and I just broke into tears when he asked me like what was wrong. And I said, I'm tired of being tired. It just felt so draining commuting to the office with driving anxiety, which I notice is very common now because you also have it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get my driver's license until like I was like 26, 27. And it goes so far. It's like, so have you heard that like trauma can be found in our DNA? It's passed on through our DNA. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard about that in terms of when we look at patient or client history, we ask Mm -hmm. them, you know, what kind of trauma have they gone through? And then I also ask about their parents or family, siblings, uh, mental health. And a lot of the times if a client has gone through a traumatic experience or let's say um, they've witnessed their parents drinking a lot of alcohol, their mm-hmm. parents likely got that from their parents. And somewhere down the road, there's alcohol use disorder in the family. So yeah. I've seen it in that context. Yeah. Um, for me, it's more of a psychological thing. Because so my grandmother was always afraid of driving. So she never drove despite passing her tests with flying mm-hmm. colors. And then she passed on her fear to my mother, whether by DNA or whether by constant conditioning, which resulted in my mother getting into a very bad accident when she first immigrated to the U.S., causing two people to be quadriplegic for the rest of their life. Oh, my God. And she herself was in a coma for three days. So that was a story that I was told constantly growing up, which eventually developed into a full-blown driving anxiety. Why would you want to drive being told that your whole life? Yeah. So oh my God. shedding that was a process and it was not a process that I could have done while working a corporate nine to five in a consulting and sales role, which we had targets to hit. I would get, my anxiety would go so bad. I would get panic attacks so bad that I would be sitting in my car in the parking lot at work for 30 minutes being late to work because I forgot how to breathe. Man, it's it's one of those things where you don't even realize that that's happening to you until you're in that position. I was driving yesterday mm-hmm. and there wasn't any parking where I had been planning to park. Mm-hmm. And I just kept driving forward and forward oh. and forward, getting further and further away from my destination. And I'm just like, oh, God, when can I turn? What should I do? And... But then on the outside, people may think, oh, it's easy. Just pull over. (laughs) But that's not what's happening in my head, you know? And I'm glad that we can voice and normalize that these things do happen and we're trying to work on it. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, being in that corporate environment, living the American dream, as some Mm -hmm. may say. um, Yeah, because our parents grew up knowing that. A lot of our parents were, so my dad was a refugee from Vietnam after the war. Mm -hmm. So he was raised and conditioned thinking like, oh, there's never enough. There's never enough. There's never enough. So that scared me the first time into getting my job back. But the second time when I quit, I, a little part of me was like, hey, Chanel, there is going to be enough because you are enough. Mm -hmm. And that little part of me from last year till now, because it's been a year since I completely exited corporate, has been really growing. So it's gone from this scarcity mindset of thinking like, oh, I don't have enough. I'm never enough into being so abundant. Like I have enough. I have more than enough. Whatever I want will come to me. 
And looking back to enforce that, what I did a lot right after I quit was looking at things that I've always wanted to make happen, like, oh, um, finally closing my long distance relationship gap and immigrating to the US. I made that happen. Like it took time, but I made it happen. Mm-hmm. Shifting from retail to corporate, I made it happen. Looking at all my successes and essentially that's my highlight reel of my life. Believing that everything I want, I can make happen, which I later learned like earlier this year that that's called manifesting. And I was like, cool. <laughs> um, yeah. There are many different practices you can call it, but I just intuitively knew like I wanted better. I deserve better. I am enough. This is the time. That chapter of my life in corporate is over. And I actually tried to apply for a retail job because everyone around me was like, oh, you don't have income. You don't have income. I literally woke up and it was just a complete nope sensation all over my body. I'm not sure like what our policy here is for cussing in your podcast, so I'm not going to use it. But it was like a complete <laughs> F no. I just did not want to get out of bed. And I showed up for, for retail like, anyway because I was like, it's close by. It'll be fun. I, ca- I talked myself out of it instead of listening to myself. And then like I quit after the first day and I had to walk home in snow. And I was like, yeah, this this is not it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find so- that when we get older – we start having some kind of agency and understanding that, you know, we have the ability to be able to do things more for ourselves now to quit things and not necessarily have a plan. Yep. And I know that can be so scary and our parents are probably disappointed and we might feel like we're embarrassed, especially with peers who have been in jobs and are very secure. But I think at the end of the day, we, owe it to ourselves to do that because how I see it is you're going to live the rest of your life wondering the what ifs Mm -hmm. compared to let's say if this fails and you fail for one or two years but what you've done for yourself is you've grown by trying you've Mm -hmm. learned what works what doesn't and you looked for what you truly enjoyed and there's a lot of risk to doing that yes but what you also risk by not doing it is your whole life. Yep. And this is where I see a lot happening with clients who feel really unfulfilled with their lives because mm-hmm. sure, on paper, everything is amazing, mm-hmm. but they are unhappy with their lives no matter how much they make, having a good job and mm-hmm. feeling like they can just buy what they want because they don't enjoy it. You work 40 hours a week and you spend so many hours and so many years of your lifetime doing your job. And if you wake up hating it every day, even though it's making good money. And of course I recognize that sometimes people have to be in these positions because they have a family and there are so many reasons why you might have to stay. But for those who continue to complain about it and don't have those kind of reasons, it's because you're not investing in yourself. Yep. Hmm. I agree. But I want to now switch back to our original (laughs) topic. I realized this was a very long intro chit chat, but I am grateful for that. Uh, What I want to, you know, scratch the surface of and get your expertise on is about food. Mm -hmm. And what I hear a lot from people is, oh, cooking. Okay. Cooking is hard. It doesn't taste as good and mm-hmm. it's a lot of work. You know, those are mm-hmm. the things I hear the most. But what when your clients come to you and they're really struggling with healthy eating, mm-hmm. what are their main struggles that you hear? 
the first thing is, like you said, cooking is hard. Um, so we try to simplify that. Sometimes you don't even need to actually cook. Like for me, to me, cooking is, oh, turning on the stove, like ha having some fire going on. You could just, it could be something as easy as assembling something like charcuterie boards or just like hummus and veggies. Like start really small, start with snacks. Me growing up in Taiwan as a kid, like I was surrounded by food. <laughs> I would just walk out and 7-Eleven would be right there. So for that, um, I, I think we'll probably cover it later, but that's one of the concerns, like cooking is hard. Um, and really quick, for those mm -hmm. of you who don't know, Asian 7-Eleven is so <laughs> different from American 7-Eleven. It is by far the – like, I could live my entire life <laughs> eating at 7-Eleven because everything is just so much better there. They have so, so many true. options. It can be healthy. It's great. <laughs> yeah, this is so true. Um, and then, so that's cooking as hard as the first one. Second one is eating organic is so expensive. Mm -hmm. You don't have to eat organic. Um, Environmental Working Group, EWG, actually comes up with a list every year called the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15. So things on there that are on the Dirty Dozen, get organic if you can afford it. Eating healthy doesn't have to be expensive. Um, and if you can't get organic, just wash it with some vinegar and let it soak and it could get most of the pesticide residue out. So that's the second myth that I heard. Um, the third struggle that I hear a lot as well is what does being healthy even mean? Like, how do I eat healthy? I'm so overwhelmed by all this information. And it's true. So when right off the bat, before I even start working with a client, I work with them by defining what looking healthy and being healthy means to them, how it feels. So we go into usually a guided meditation um, and then I ask them what comes up. Or if we do a more logical approach is we start by going to the end result. And my brain likes to do this a lot is going to the end result and reverse engineering what that process would look like. Yeah, I think that is a wonderful approach. And for anyone who's listening, you can use that for literally anything yeah. that you're going through. You know, how does that, it's literally the definition of empathy. How does that look like for you? What does that mean for you? Because healthy for one person could be cooking at home twice a week, but healthy for another person could be only eating out once a week. And those are flipped. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And then let's see, I think another one that comes up is like, oh, I'm too tired to cook. Oh, I don't have time. Oh, grocery shopping takes up too much time. Oh, yeah. I hear that too. Yeah. I complain so, about that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I, I've been there. I actually subscribed to some like meal delivery services when I was working corporate just to get back in the kitchen. I also had some kitchen trauma, but I can save that story for another time. Um, yeah. So that's also an option to do meal delivery services. Anything my clients have questions for, I will always find answers for them if I don't already have answers or we look into themselves for answers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, oh, the last one was like, I'm allergic to everything. What can I actually eat? So with that one, it's really fun because we get to we get to determine whether it's an actual allergy or if it's a sensitivity and then we can go into a protocol. Because, yeah, there are some people that are like, oh, I'm so picky. Oh, I have these dietary preferences. Like, eating is so hard. It doesn't have to be hard at all. Mm -hmm. um, food is one of our basic necessities as humans to live. And, uh, yeah, if you find that you're having trouble deciding what to eat, because, again, being healthy looks different for you, and or you may be allergic to literally everything, work with a professional. 
work with someone that has been through allergies. And also, like earlier when we said, um, be mindful. Like when you eat certain things, notice how you actually feel with it. I love that. And, you know, those are also relatable because I'm guilty of seeing a lot of that. I've heard a lot of that being said. And I wonder, do you think they're, they're, they almost sound like excuses because they kind of are. Yeah. What do you think they're trying to, you know, when we say all those phrases, Mm -hmm. what's really going on? I think the underlying thing is being afraid being scared coming from a place of fear so most people they when you feed yourself like you're thinking like oh I'm hungry so my body needs to eat so I can continue on with my day you don't think like oh my body is hungry I need to nourish myself you just think like oh I need to eat because I have to eat because you know we're supposed to have three meals a day and that's just how it is you just eat for the sake of eating and so if I just went up to you and said hey what if you could eat this way and feel this way a couple hours later you're gonna be like what the f are you on Mm. we're so conditioned to eating three meals a day that when I first started skipping breakfast because breakfast made me feel tired my mom actually like shunned me and was like you should always eat breakfast breakfast is the most important meal of the day yeah but there's things like intermittent fasting there's things like all these everyone eats differently and that's totally fine But for most people with these concerns, it's coming from a place of fear, coming from a place of conditioning, coming from a place of resisting change, and also coming from a place of not really believing in themselves that they can actually feel a different way. They have the power, they have the choice to modify different factors in their day-to-day life to actually make them feel the way they want. I know it's ridiculous to say, like, we're afraid of our own power, but honestly, sometimes we are because we're conditioned to not actually use that power, not to use the gifts that we have not to be at our fullest. And I just recently had that experience because I came to a realization that I always felt guilty growing up because I was a fast learner. And so people will tell me like, oh, if you're learning so fast, that means you must not be absorbing all your information. But I already was. And so they tried to make me smaller by doing that. Yeah. And I think what I really get out of this is it doesn't have to be so structured, you know, for Mm -hmm. one person, that's their structure, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you have to be using that structure. Exactly. That's what healthy looks like for them. Like you said, versus what healthy looks like for you. And I even want to add to that. Not only are people potentially afraid of what they have to do all the responsibility that comes with it. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it is also nervous about the, being not nervous, rather uncomfortable because mm-hmm. it's unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Not knowing exactly what you need to cook. For example, for me, I've been cooking for many, many years. So it's when I look at, I don't usually use a recipe and I'll eyeball everything. But I know that for people who aren't very used to cooking, they need to know exactly how much you put in. And that's really exhausting. By the time mm-hmm. you've bought all the ingredients, very specific ones, follow a recipe to the T. It probably took a couple of hours just to make something that um, you can do easily as you're experienced. Yeah. Well, yeah. for people who are just getting started – what do you think are some easy and tangible tips that people can do to eat healthily? First thing I also touched on earlier is just start with your snacks. You don't have to start with full-on meals. Just start with your snacks. You're putting like hummus and veggies together. That's 
essentially an appetizer, but we take it as a snack. That works. Um, and like, look back at remember when we were kids and we had Lunchables. Yes. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, I love that, you- but they're so bad for you. <laughs> yeah. Now that now that you know what healthy looks like, that is not healthy. Yeah, what it looks and feels like, I know. But um, you can also make your own lunchables, which I like to do a lot, and that constitutes like you're putting together a meal. It's like putting together puzzles for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. Um, so by instead of using like what lunchables has, you can use other stuff that you like. Um, so myself, I would put together like hard two hard-boiled eggs with Trader Joe's everything bagel seasoning. Um, I would do like car- carrots and celery sticks um, with like a d- big dollop of hummus and then maybe just some cucumbers as well. I just love cucumbers, especially in the summer. They're so hydrating. And then like some dried fruit and nuts. So you frozen can do, like, grapes. I'm frozen grapes are that. so good. Yeah. Um, start small. That's the most important thing when you want to start because you'll be like... I made this. I'm so excited to eat this. And then you get to eat this and you're like, I made this and it feels so good. And then eventually that'll condition you and reward your whole body into thinking like, oh my God, that's so amazing. I'm making these things. I'm feeding myself. I'm taking on more responsibility. And then you level up onto the next stage where, um, so my second tip is try a meal delivery service like or buy meal kits from from stores where they have everything, your mise en place um, set aside, everything cut for you already. All you have to do is cook them according to the instructions. Um, yeah, because it's like when you buy one of those, um, like build your own candle sets or something like that. It's kind of like that, but with food. Mm-hmm. So it takes the prep work out of it for you. And it also gets you into that mode of starting to become like your own chef because you're like, I already have a sous chef that prepared everything for me, the meal delivery service. And you're making magic in your kitchen. Um, and then adding on to that, what I used to do was I would designate, like you said, eating healthy can mean different for people, like making meals twice a week or going out to eat just once a week. So for me, it was cooking twice a week. So I would reserve Sunday nights and I think either Monday or Wednesday nights, depending on my workload, where I would just, um, unpack my meal kit, stay in the kitchen for like three to four hours and just blast K-pop. And just live in my own world and really make that fun. And this is something I've been trying to stress a lot too. Mm-hmm. Things that are really mundane or not enjoyable, chores, like, oh, God, I got to do this. You can mm-hmm. easily pair them with something that's enjoyable. Maybe mm-hmm. you were wanting to catch up with someone. So instead of blocking time to catch up with someone and then needing hours to meal prep, call while you cook. Listen mm-hmm. to a true crime podcast. I'm a big fan of true crime podcasts because <laughs> it's like listening to a story and it goes by so fast and you suddenly finish cooking while listening to one episode. Or like you said, listening to music and make it enjoyable. You don't have to suffer when mm-hmm. it's already, it can be suffering to do certain tasks that are so mundane for you. And myself personally, I like to have fun with everything that I do. And by making sure I'm doing that, I'm also in a constant like state of just being fun and being happy. Um, and just puts me in a really good mindset to make things fun or I'm sorry, make things happen, get things done, be productive while doing it. Um, on the more spiritual side, that's so our masculine is more divine masculine. 
It's about structure. And we have our feminine, which is our sacred feminine, which is about creativity. So by putting both of them together, by having fun while doing structure, it just feels really balanced for your body on a more spiritual and energetic level. I love that. And earlier we talked about misconceptions Mm -hmm. about healthy eating. What are benefits now the flip side that comes with healthy eating? Mm -hmm. So my main practice is to work on clients that need more energy. So by eating, choosing the right foods to eat for them that they feel good eating, they don't feel pressured eating, um, that usually makes them feel really energized. And also eating in like a certain order on your plate can also help you feel better about your energy. Um, ultimately my goal for everybody to be healthy, my vision of being healthy is having enough energy to not only show up for yourself, but also show up for everything and everybody that you love and showing up means being there for them, enjoying with them, having fun with them, just living life with them to the fullest and not wondering about, like you said, all those what ifs like, Oh, what if I want to go skydiving, but I'm out of shape? Like, no, (laughs) You don't have to worry about all of that. You feel good and you will do really good. Um, I believe that everything is like from the inside out. So if you're very nourished from your body, like your mind and your soul and every other part of you will be functioning at its best as well. It Everything is harmonized. Yeah, I like that idea of everything's harmonized. There's that balance, you know, even with food, you don't have to eat all whole foods all the time there are Mm -hmm. times when you indulge but everything comes with a balance and Mm -hmm. the person who feels the benefits of whatever you choose to eat is you because yesterday it was so hot I needed my goddamn popsicle it tasted so good and I was okay with it Mm -hmm. and it but then it's when you eat three popsicles every single day that's when that's not okay yeah (laughs) and your body will tell you your body will tell you Yeah, exactly. I'm wondering now, Chanel, if you have any final comments, especially for people who are trying to eat healthy or even change their careers, anything about nutrition? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, First is like, yeah, routines can feel super mundane sometimes, especially something like cooking for you. Because growing up Asian, we're so used to seeing our mothers just be in the kitchen all the time and then complain about being in the kitchen all the time without any help. Raise your hand if you've heard that or seen that. Me. It, it just <laughs> happened to me earlier this morning. Um, and I'm just going to add here, it is so hard to track Asian foods because you put in so many sauces. <laughs> everything is at different amounts and different things. But I do love my Asian food and I thank my mom for it yeah. every day. <laughs> Asian food is delicious for sure. Um Yeah, so to make routines and to just view routines differently, um, I like to do a few things like, one, believing that my routines make my life easier because by having them happen at a set time, at a set pace, it's creating more time in my day for me to do other things that I really enjoy. Mm, That Um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then building that relationship with foods so not labeling them good or bad because that's completely subjective like I can say french fries are good for you but someone else would be like french fries are so bad for you don't eat them um so when that happens what I do is I'll look at a food and I'll ask myself is this food going to feed me today and how is it going to feed me is it going to feed me in my body is it going to feed me in my mind 
Is it going to feed me in my spirit? How is it going to feed me? So like French fries, for example, yeah, sometimes it'll feed my body, but it's also like soul food and it's comfort food. So most of the time, like food will feed you in more than just one way if you allow it to. Um, like when you go to your grand- Asian grandma's house and then she just wants to stuff you with food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not just actually eating the food, but you're also eating her love for you. It's true. Very yeah. true. Because that's how our parents will tell us. Yeah. <laughs> not through um, words, but through <laughs> Yeah, when they apologize, it's a barging into your room with a plate of fruit. Yeah. Yeah, so not labeling food inherently good or bad and just allowing it to feed you, however, listening to your body, really trusting your body has the wisdom and the ability mm-hmm. to tell you what it needs. Yeah. Can't really, I think the last thing would just be, again, emphasizing on figuring out how you want to feel and then reverse engineering into that to see what you should eat or what you want to eat. Mm-hmm. So like, say today I'm feeling really dehydrated and I want to feel more hydrated and more energized and not like a human jerky or human prune. I'll be like, okay, so what can I do to, to get me there? Mm, we can drink some water. We can maybe even have some coconut water. Mm, let's eat a lot of fruits and let's eat a lot of cucumber because proof of concept in your body will tell you like, hey, previously when you ate these things, it made you feel this way. And then when you ate these things, it made you feel this way. So based on this information, what do we want today as a body? And, and it be like, changes oh. every day. It does, 100%. Um, more so in women because we go through a cycle constantly. We're cyclical beings, not like men. Again, going into like, the divine masculine and sacred femininity we just operate differently and I think that's a beautiful thing because I honestly went into practice wanting to see just female clients but then like I got male clients and I was like oh my god I'm so proud of you you actually want to be healthy Um, (laughs) because a lot of guys are just like I'm not I'm never gonna step in the kitchen um and it's like I don't need to ask for help and like I just need to get swole like and the guys that come to me, I'm just so proud of them for breaking these, like, gender norms and these stereotypes. And, like, I literally am so touched to tears when they come see me. Oh, that must be really I, I'm, like, so proud of them. Yeah. And, yeah. So I think that summarizes pretty much um, all my key tips. Um, yeah. So asking your body what you want to eat and how you want the food to feed you is a really good introduction to mindful eating that I tell everybody who asks me about it. Yeah. And oh, touch your food. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Most importantly, touch your food, really connect with your food. And yeah, just touch your food. If you even have the opportunity ever to go to a farm, like do it. I've been, it's really fun. You get to harvest kale and uh, pull out burdock, which is one of the hardest things I've done in my life because they're so resilient. But when you get to see and touch and feel food in its natural state, you'll get a better idea of like, what kind of feeling you'd get from eating that food so like for root vegetables you feel really grounded because of how they're grown underground and really resilient too because when you pull them out it's it's a struggle like it's a struggle I think we needed like three or four people to actually pull out the bird off from the ground um and that's why it's such a resilient vegetable that is used often in Asian cuisine and you appreciate it more actually I didn't realize that (laughs) Now that I think about it, whenever I grow back my green onions, mm-hmm. I'm always thinking, oh, man, I grew these. <laughs> exactly. They just seem to taste more fresh, too, and better. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the food you make always tastes better than outside. You may not think so, but when 
like when you really put your heart and soul into it, um, pretend you're pre preparing a meal for your grandma that always feeds you. And that'll really change how you feel and what you think about what you're making. Mm -hmm. And like you said, that being extra, like making your food look really presentable, you're giving yourself that like fine dining experience that I make myself go to every year because I want to. Um, you're giving that yourself that experience, you're creating that environment to set your body up for success. Yes, definitely. And so many wise things that you've shared today. And I hope it can inspire whoever's listening to, you don't have to go right into a full meal plan, but like Chanel says, start with a snack. How can you create or not create, but how can you have a snack that's healthy for you? Maybe it's frozen grapes. I really recommend that and see how it goes. Yeah. I just love food. Me too. <laughs> so Chanel, where can the listeners find and connect with you? I'll make sure to include it in the description too. For sure. Um, best way to reach me right now is to my Instagram. So it's at Chanel, C-H-A-N-E-L-C and Wynn, H-U-Y-N-H, which is a last name that everybody pronounces very differently. Um, I like to think of people that join my community as winners because that's what we are. All we do is win, yes. win, win, no matter what. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much <laughs> for your time today and being on this episode. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really nice to reconnect with you again. Yeah, I love that. No matter, it's been over 10 years since we last spoke, but to come together like this and talk about a topic that's near and dear to us and we're passionate about, I think there's nothing more beautiful than this kind of connection. For sure. Yay! <laughs> and to support my podcast and help reach others, please follow and share it with anyone looking to learn more about mental health. I also have a lot of daily posts with all kinds of mental health tips and content on my Instagram at Therapy with Shervin or on my website, shervin.ca. All right, everyone, take care and talk to you next time. <laughs>